Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. Hi, Inside the Vatican listeners, it's Colleen. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI died at 9.34 a.m. Rome time today. It's Saturday, December 31st, 2022. We're bringing this episode of Inside the Vatican to give you an update on what we know, including the details of the funeral proceedings that will be presided over by Pope Francis next week. This morning, the Vatican's press officer, Matteo Bruni, said, With sorrow, we inform you that the Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI passed away today, this morning, at 9.34 in the Mater Ecclesia Monastery in the Vatican. That's where Pope Benedict has lived since his resignation in 2013. Good morning. We begin with breaking news from the Vatican, which announced that Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has died. He was 95 years old. We first learned that the Pope might be nearing death on Wednesday this week, when Pope Francis made a surprise announcement after his Wednesday audience that Benedict was very ill, in his words, and he invited the faithful to pray for the Pope Emeritus, who he added is sustaining the Church in silence. In the days since, we received daily updates from Matteo Bruni, the Vatican spokesman, that Benedict's condition remained serious but stable, and in each of those statements he echoed Pope Francis's calls for prayer for the Pope Emeritus. We know now that starting on Monday, January 2nd, Pope Benedict's body will lie in state in St. Peter's Basilica, which will allow people to come pay their final respects to the Pope who served the Church as Bishop of Rome for almost eight years. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI was born Joseph Ratzinger and was elected Pope in 2005 after the long papacy of John Paul II. In 2013, he became the first pope in 600 years to resign voluntarily from his office, which made it possible for future popes to resign if they should find that their mental or physical health is failing or that they're unable to do the job. Benedict has lived as emeritus pope for almost 10 years, a period longer than he was pope, and in that time has been praying for the church. Joining me now to discuss the former Pope and what we know about what will happen in the coming days is veteran Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good evening from Rome, Colleen. Jerry, we're obviously catching you in the middle of a very sad and busy time as the church is mourning the death of the emeritus Pope, Benedict XVI. Just very quickly, what do we know so far about the funeral arrangements for the Pope? Well, we know that Pope Francis will preside over the solemn funeral requiem mass in St. Peter's Square at 9.30 on Thursday morning, the 5th of January. Benedict made clear that he wanted his funeral to be marked with simplicity. So I understand they're not inviting heads of state from around the world. I think a few will come, almost certainly the president of Germany, who's right now in Brazil, and the president of Italy. Uh, I don't know who else will come. Obviously, the diplomatic corps representing 182 countries will be present at the funeral. And I know that many cardinals from around the world are coming in. 
for the funeral because most of them have met him at one stage or other. Most recently, the new cardinals met him at the end of August when Francis took them to meet Benedict. Do we know in terms of the liturgy what a mark of simplicity means in this context? I know there was some question about whether he would have the full papal funeral. Do we know anything about that? Well, we haven't the details of the liturgy yet, but what we do know is that on Monday morning, the 2nd of January, his body will be brought from the Mater Ecclesia monastery where he has lived for most of the last 10 years to St. Peter's Basilica. And then he will lie in state, as it were, in the basilica for the faithful in Rome and pilgrims to go and pay their final respects to him. Already in St. Peter's Square, they are now cordoning off the whole area and also the Via della Conciliazione. That's the main street that leads up to St. Peter's. The police have now started putting up barricades to control crowd, obviously. We have been in suspense for days, Colin, since Pope Francis last Wednesday announced that Benedict was very ill. And that, as I said on the podcast last Tuesday, that was the clearest sign to me that we were at the final stage of Benedict's pilgrim journey. He had said when he had resigned, he would continue his pilgrim journey, keeping the church in his prayers. And obviously, he has done that. And this evening in St. Peter's Basilica, Pope Francis mentioned something of this. Jerry, you mentioned there's been an air of suspense for the last few days. We've been following daily updates from the Vatican spokesman Matteo Bruni, who's been updating us on the Pope's situation, that it's been serious or grave, but was stable up until today. What is the energy like now that that suspense has sort of dissipated? Well, everybody knew, at least in the Vatican, they knew it was a question of hours or days. It wasn't going to be weeks. There is a sense that as Francis said the other day, you know, this was a very holy man, a man who at the last part of his life was becoming a kind of a contemplative. Uh, there's a sense that he has given a great service to the church. Uh, no pope in history, with few exceptions, you'd have to go back to Leo the Great to find a man who became pope with such erudition and such a theological background as Ratzinger did when he became pope. Then we know also that he has changed the history of the papacy by his resignation. No pope in 600 years has resigned voluntarily, and Benedict did so, and so he has opened a new chapter in the history of the papacy, which makes it possible for future popes to resign. He has given a great gift to the church in the last phase of his life, and I think this is one of the nuggets of that gift. Oh, certainly. Yeah, and... His theological output and contributions were already so massive, but it's almost eclipsed by the weight of that decision to resign. Like That will be the defining thing of his legacy, I think. Certainly that will go down in history, but I think that his theological writings uh, will remain. Oh, absolutely. Yes. They've had a great impact, and uh, like most scholars feel that he made a significant contribution. Mm-hmm. at the theological level. And he made also two other major contributions, Colleen, that would be important to point out. Mm-hmm. One is that he really went to the front line in the battle to eliminate the abuse in the church. He was the one who began to lay down the new legal framework within the Catholic Church that will protect children and that will bring to account those who have abused. 
Francis has built on that and built considerably on that and gone much further than Benedict. But Benedict put the cornerstone. Yeah, Jerry, I think that's a, a very accurate way to phrase it, that Benedict sort of laid the foundation. At the same time, we did have some significant questions raised about his legacy on handling sexual abuse in the church this year, back in February, when the Munich report came out and examined how he had handled four cases when he was archbishop in Munich. It's worth acknowledging that he did have this questionable legacy in that sense as well. Well, it, it depends on the size of the picture that you have. If you look at all the other things that he has done and you fit that problem, and nobody denies that it was a problem, it was one part of a much bigger picture how Benedict dealt with the abuse. And by the time he became Pope, he already had some experience from his time in the congregation, now dicastery for the doctrine of the faith in dealing with abuse, right? He had enormous experience because he had seen so many cases. I mean, if you think today that dicastery, 80% of its work today is, is on the abuse question. When Ratzinger started, in 1983, I think, a lot of the work was on the theology, on the questions and the problems of the theologians, etc. And then at the beginning of the year 2000, 2001, especially 2002, the whole shift in the work that, of the congregation that he was then head of changed. And he had to devote attention to the abuse question. And there he went into a rapid learning curve. And by the time he became Pope, he knew a lot about it. In fact, one of his first decisions was to remove Maciel and to send him to a life of prayer and penance. Maciel was one of the biggest abusers in the recent history of the church. He was the founder of the Legionaries of Christ. He was a Mexican priest. He, he looked to be super orthodox in his theology and his way, but he was living a double life. And we discovered much of this after his death. But Ratzinger will take the credit for opening investigation and sending Archbishop Shikluna, then Monsignor Shikluna, to New York to begin to interview the victims at a time when no other people in the Vatican at high level, not the Secretary of State and not the John Paul II, was willing to do this. He did it, as it were, aside from them. In fact, uh, Shikluna was interviewing the first victims when John Paul II died, and he phoned back to Ratzinger, and he said, should I continue with the investigation? Because normally when the Pope dies, the operations stop. And Ratzinger said, no, no, you finish the work. And so Shikluna came back, and he handed Ratzinger the report before he went into the conclave. So when he went into the conclave, he had this report in his hand. Jerry, you covered the entire Benedict papacy from Rome. I was wondering if any stories or memories came to mind that you felt really summed Benedict up. I mean, we've spoken about the resignation. That's obviously a massive moment. But were there any other things that, that you felt happened and, and really revealed something about the man? Well, I, I was always struck by his timidity. I remember uh, going to the World Youth Day in Cologne, in Germany, in 2005, the summer after he was elected pope. And I was struck when he was he was on the boat with a lot of young people, and he, he seemed like an orphan, and that it was as if the young people were adopting him. Yeah. And yet he, his silence and his prayer impacted enormously on them. He was almost timid when he met young people. 
he listened and often young people had to make the conversation with him. He was a scholar. And I remember six months before he was elected Pope, I met him after a conference and I was talking to him and I said, uh, would you be willing to give me an, an interview? And he said, really, I now am tired. I really want to retire. And I think it's better that you go for the younger men who've got energy. And then he was elected Pope. And then he was elected Pope, yes. One last thing. Obviously, you and I spend most of our time covering Pope Francis, who's the current Pope. I wanted to ask you about how they've navigated this interesting relationship between having a retired Pope in the Vatican and a current Pope. What do you make of their relationship? Well, I think it was quite extraordinary. If you think when Celestine V resigned... The last pope to resign voluntarily. He ended up in prison. His successor did not preside at his requiem mass, and he didn't have nice things to say about him. Francis, on the other hand, he had an extraordinary relationship with Benedict. There was no record of them being particularly close to each other before Francis was elected. Indeed, Benedict didn't even have Francis on his shortlist of possible candidates to succeed him. He says this in an interview. But they developed this relationship, and Francis has stated publicly, I went and I consulted Benedict. We don't yet know on what issues he's consulted him, and so we don't know what actually has been the real contribution of Benedict to Francis's papacy. We have a lot of the those who support Benedict, etc., who attack Francis or uh, such like, but we don't really know what was the inside story. Maybe Francis will now talk about that. Tonight, Francis in the Basilica spoke about the Benedict in, in really very deeply moving terms. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he will say in the homily at the funeral mass. Right. And you and Ricardo will be covering that. If our listeners want to keep up to date, uh, you can check americamagazine.org. There's a lot of content right now on the life and legacy of Pope Benedict, including articles on his theological contributions, on his faith life. Those are linked to the show notes. They're also on our website, which you can keep checking to keep up to date on all of the developments. Jerry, thanks for taking some time to talk with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colleen, and very good wishes to you in the coming days. We hope little one is very well, and Ricardo and I will tell our listeners when the baby is born. All right. And Happy New Year to everyone. We also want to add that this evening at the Vatican, Pope Francis commented on the passing of Pope Emeritus Benedict. He said, Our thoughts go spontaneously to the dearest Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI who left us this morning. With emotion, we remember his person, so noble, so kind. And we feel in our hearts so much gratitude. Gratitude to God for having given him to the church and to the world. Gratitude to him for all the good he accomplished, and especially for his witness of faith and prayer, especially in these last years of his retired life. Only God knows the value and strength of his intercession, of his sacrifices offered for the good of the church. Thanks for listening. You can join Ricardo and Jerry again next week for a regular episode of Inside the Vatican, which will arrive in your podcast feeds a day later on Friday because of the New Year's holiday. Inside the Vatican is a production of American Media. This episode was produced by Ricardo da Silva. Audio editing by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Cristobal Spielman at America Media. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Magazine, follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And you can find all of our coverage at americamagazine.org. 
While you're there, please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. It's really easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.